Thank you, Wes. Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the first job that I ever had was working for a swimming school in Brighton. At first as an assistant, often being given the screaming uh, babies to uh, hold around in the water. I don't know how I always ended up with that job, but I always seemed to. Uh, it served me well uh, in life, that, actually. Um, but first as an assistant, and then as a lifeguard and a swimming teacher, as I gained various qualifications. And although I gained lots of qualifications and various skills that still help me to this day with my niece when I'm talking to her about her swimming, I think the most important skill that I picked up in that role was learning names quickly. When you're teaching a class of eight or nine children, perhaps four or five, six years old, you really need to know what their names are, especially when there's three other lessons going on at the same time. You're on the poolside and they're in the water. It's a bit of a job to hold their attention. So partly for safety, you need to know what their names are, but also just so you can teach effectively. And so I became able to learn the names of the children in my classes pretty quickly. Most of them in the first couple of weeks. One or two of them, the more memorable children, in the first couple of moments. I'm sure you can imagine those children. I won't tell you the story of the boy who ran in and just leapt straight into the water. Uh, there were many stories I could tell about teaching swimming. But that learning names was so important. And whilst I hope that I've retained some of that skill, I do wish I was as good now as I was then at learning names. Being known by name is important, isn't it? It shows a relationship and at least some level of understanding and recognition of one another. I'm sure that you can think of a time when somebody remembered you by name, called you by name, and the difference that it made to you and how you felt. In our reading from Exodus that we heard, we see something of the intimate relationship between the Lord and Moses. We heard that God knew Moses by name, and how the Lord said, I will proclaim my name in your presence. This reading from Exodus 33 is a culmination of a series of new revelations about God's identity and names throughout the book of Exodus. A series of unveiling of the divine, which began when God first calls Moses at the burning bush. And those who know the story will know that God said to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And next, a bit later in chapter 3, we hear a name that points to the present and the future. I am who I am. Or perhaps better translated, I will be who I will be. The God who is. The Ten Commandments begin with an expansion of God's name. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You are my people, says the Lord, and I am your God, who freed you from oppression. And then in Exodus 29, we have yet another expansion of this divine name. The Lord then tells us why God liberated the people, I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt in order that I might live among them. 
The whole point of God delivering the people of Israel was to make it possible that God could be close and near, living with us in the midst of the people. But the people have messed up when we get to our reading today. God revealed his name, he's brought them out of slavery, he's been with them, and then they've broken a key commandment. Moses has gone up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments on the two tablets, and the people have got a bit fed up waiting. They're not sure if Moses is ever coming back, they're not sure if they still have God's favor, and so they've got a bit scared. And what's their solution to this problem that they think that they have? They make some calves out of gold, the obvious solution. And then they worship these idols. And this covenant-breaking act endangered God's whole project of deliverance and dwelling in the midst of the people. He has been faithful to the people, but they haven't been faithful to God. So how can this powerful holiness and glory of God, the God of all creation, live with and in the midst of a sinful people? And so this is the scenario that Moses finds himself in. And he has some work to do. He needs to persuade God not to destroy the people. More than that, more than just not destroying them, Moses wants to help the people to continue to have a relationship with God. For God to continue to be with them, despite their turning away. And we read, didn't we, how Moses was successful in this mission. The relationship between the Lord and the people moves from anger to forgiveness. And finally, to full restoration. And this movement is able to happen because of the relationship between Moses and the Lord. Moses has boldness in seeking the Lord, and his perseverance is rewarded. And God finally agrees, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Moses knows that the only basis for rebuilding the broken covenant relationship between God and the people rests on who God is. The people's hope doesn't rest on who the people are or what they do, thankfully, but rather on who God is. Finally, we have a further revelation then of God's name. The God who was, I will be, who I will be, is now revealed as I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. The balance in God's deepest character leans towards grace and mercy. In this time and place on Mount Sinai, God chose to love, to forgive, and to have mercy on the rebellious people. Moses and God have an intimate relationship. They know one another by name. And on that basis, Moses has been able to ask God, step by step, to reveal enough of God's self to find a way forward that allows the holy, glorious, powerful, and good God to live with us, to dwell among the people. God is with the people, the relationship is restored. And it's the message about this God, the God who is with us, that has been revealed to the Thessalonians, and of whom Paul is writing in the second reading that we heard Wes read for us. 
This is probably the earliest of Paul's letters that we have in the New Testament. And it's a pastoral letter to a congregation from a church leader, written to encourage them to respond to their particular needs. And in this letter, Paul is reminding them of who they are, of who their God is, that they are known by name and that they too can know their God. There are some very recognisable Pauline aspects to this letter. I'm sure you'll have picked up those themes of faith and love and of hope in verse 3. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminds the church that they know who God is, that they have received the gospel of Christ and have been chosen, that their faith is evident to those around them. Like the Israelites, they have turned away from worshipping idols, from that old life that they used to have, and turned towards their God, to serve the true and the living God, because they know God, and God knows them, knows them by name, and so they are able to witness to those around them of the goodness of God and of salvation through Christ. The gospel came to you not only in words, but also in power, they are told. You have received the Holy Spirit. God is with you. And so serve the Lord in all that you do and all that you say and all that you are. This was true for that very early Christian community, and it's true for us today. Today we baptized little Mariah. Her names have been declared before us all, and she has become part of our family of the family of God. As we are known to God by name, we are also known to one another. As a church, we should be striving to know one another better, to know each other by name, with all that that means, in order that we might build one another up, encourage one another, love one another, watch over one another in love. And as we know each other, We are chosen and known by God, who knows us by name. All that we do, the way that we live, the words that we say, should reflect outwards to the world the truth about who our God is. We too can have the boldness of Moses to say, teach us your ways, O Lord, go with us, and yes, even show us your glory. A warning, though, needs to come here. Be careful when you pray to God, because knowing God by name is powerful. The Lord hid Moses in the cleft of the rock when he passed by and covered him with his hand because there is immense power in the presence of God. When we encounter God, we are changed. We cannot remain the same when we come into the presence of the glory of the Lord. So the question for you and for me today is, Do you want to be changed? Do you want to be the person that God has created you to be? Do you want to live in the faith and the love and the hope that comes through Jesus? Because you can. That relationship is open to you. To have that relationship with God. To be known by name and to know God by name. 
And so I pray today that we will each receive the joy that is given in the Holy Spirit when we enter into a relationship with our God, who knows each of us by name. Amen.